All right. Good morning, everybody. I'm Troy, and I'm an addict. I uh, I haven't recorded one in a while, so I thought I would record this morning, um, since we got enough time to actually do a full one. Um, while we were doing uh, goals and, and such today, I, I wrote down a couple things, as I always do. And one of the things I wrote down, I, you know, somebody was talking about, I think it was Thomas was talking about, you know, what kind of legacy we're going to leave behind. So I wrote myself a little question. It just simply says, how will you be remembered? Um, I know for my own story, for, for myself, um, there's people that knew me in active addiction in certain areas of the country that have never, they only knew me that way. Um, they've not seen me since. Uh, I'm not going to chase them down to show them who I've become. Um, those people might talk about me differently when I'm gone. But somebody said to me years ago something that really stuck, and it's, and it's this. Your success will not ever be measured by the car you drive, the house you live in, or the amount of zeros on your paycheck. It won't. Your success will be truly measured in how people talk about you when you leave the room. Your success will be measured the first time your children are talking about you and you overhear it and they don't know you're listening. Those are the times where you achieve true successes in this world. Success doesn't mean I did really well in my career and I made a lot of money. Some people use that as a, as a, as a benchmark for their success. That's very true. But that don't mean shit. Um, I don't care how much money you die with. If you're a turd, you're a fucking turd. I don't care how much belongings you have on this plane of existing because as there's a song that I play often called Just Visiting by a band called Wookie Foot and the, 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 the opening verse says you'll never see a hearse with a trailer hitch. The first line of the song is the pants you're wearing in the casket don't have pockets in them. Think about that shit. What you do here stays here. Who you are here stays here. How you act and how you treat other people, that shit stays here. It might be, it, you might have to stand at the pearly gates while somebody leaves through the books and figure out if you're worthy of coming in or not. But they're not going to base it on what you've done. They're going to base it on who you are. Not who you were, but who you are. You know, we've all seen, you know, who does more time, who, who does more time than any human being ever? Jesus. Because we find him in jail, and most of the time we leave him there when we go. Most of the time. If not, we let him trail as far behind us as, as we can, for as long as we can. And if he don't catch us, then we don't get caught. Don't, don't be that. Don't be somebody that gets left behind after you've been an inspiration to somebody. Those names on that wall up there, you know, yesterday when we were playing that video and they showed that opening scene with me and Axel, man, that hit me hard. I forgot about that. But the name Axel is up there. He was a very, very good friend of mine, an amazing tie-dye artist. He was a liquid artist, so his, his dyes look very different than mine, but he was good. Um, he, was a, he was a decent guy. He struggled with, uh, you know, with a couple of different substance abuse issues. Um, he was in and out of clean time, never really took it seriously, you know, did it on his own, used his own will to stay clean. Um, one weekend, I was at a, one of the Jibber Jazz events, and anybody local who's ever been to festivals, the Jibber Jazz events are up in Schuylkill, Schuylkill Valley. Um, they take the Schuylkill Valley, the Schuylkill uh, Fairgrounds, 
close it off, and it becomes its own nation for a weekend. It you know has its own security, its own admissions. It has it's it's its own little nation. Uh, but this is a guy that used to vend with me often. We would set up because we were two. We were both tied irons. We did different kinds of die. They would put us next to each other a lot because it's a great way. You know, perfect friendly competition. Two guys selling the same thing but totally different. It's like Lowe's and Home Depot or 84 Lumber and J and W Hardware. They, you know, it's okay that they're close to each other because they sell different stuff. Hmm? All right. Anyway, so the. Uh, the reason I told you about Jibber Jazz is there was a Jibber Jazz festival that I'm, I'm vending, and I set my, my spot up, and he always had the spot next to me, and the spot was open. We always set up on Wednesday nights. Thursday mornings, we mill about and you know spend time, and then the gates open around 3. Um, so Thursday morning arrives, and I get up and climb out of my camper van, and I go to my booth, and I look, and he's not set up yet. And I'm like, where the hell is he? You know, He's always here the night before. This is a guy I vend with often, so I kind of know how he works. And he wasn't there. Um, so I went to the vending coordinator, the, the vending agent, and I said, you know, my vending partner isn't here yet. Have you heard from him? He said, no, I haven't heard from him at all. <clears throat> and I said, okay. Um, I said, if anybody hears from him, let me know. So I went back to my booth, and now it's noon on Thursday. I mean, there's not even enough time to get set up. You can't even build your booth in three hours. So he's still not there. And I went back up to security, and I was like, has anybody heard anything from Axel? And they said, unfortunately, yeah. I said, what does that mean? And everybody knows what's coming next, right? They found him in the parking lot of the Walmart less than three miles from the facility with a half a case of duster gone, and he was dead in the driver's seat of his car. Um, he stopped fighting his addiction. He stopped at Walmart to grab a couple things for his vend, and he bought a case of duster. What's that? Keyboard cleaner. So he back-to-backed half the case in his front seat of his car, and we lost him forever that day. He didn't show up. Um, the legacy he left behind, his last day on the planet, he didn't fulfill his obligations. People that were counting on him were let down. His children were at the festival waiting for him, and they were in their 20s. The legacy he left is fucking horrible. Horrible. Because he won't be remembered as an amazing tie-dye artist. He won't be remembered as a really great father. He won't be remembered as a dude that was far too old to have such pretty hair, which he did. Um, he'll be remembered as the guy who died on his way to a festival in a Walmart parking lot. Everything he did good in his life went away because of that last decision he made. The names that are up there, I say this sentence often, and I hope you understand what I mean when I say it. Please, don't make me remember you longer than I knew you. Because some of you I might only know for five or six days during your detox stay. And you'll leave here with your oil change, and you'll head on down the road, and you might get better, you might not. And I might have to read your fucking obituary. And I might have to make a candle for you and put that up there. But the people that I knew for five days, there's names up there now that fall into that category. I only knew them for five days, but I now have to remember them for the rest of my life. And not in a great way, but in a sad way. And that sucks. 
That sucks. And it's selfish of me to not want you to do that because it's going to affect me. But at the same time, I want you to understand that the legacy you leave behind, the successes that you have in this program, in your life, in or out of recovery, shouldn't go away because of a decision or a choice that you made. So understand that when you leave this facility, we had two leave today. We had two leave yesterday. And I already heard this morning somebody make a, a little joke about, you know, the one guy that left that shared for a lot. And they, they, they you know, jokingly called you that name this morning. I'm recording. That's why I'm not using names. Um, but he, he made a joke. And, you know, we're, we're going to remember that guy for a long time. He, you know, maybe, maybe his extended sharing and his seven-minute, you know, confusing, misdirected shares were difficult for us to listen to. But who's going to forget him? None of us. We won't forget that man. And I pray to God that we don't have to remember him longer than we knew him. I pray to God that the next time we see him, he's on his feet and sitting in a fucking chair during an alumni meeting. That's what I, that's what I hope to happen. Um, I know that if I had died in active addiction, uh, at my funeral, people would have been talking about how much money I owed them. They would have been talking about what I did wrong, how I fucked their sister or cheated on them with somebody or stole their money or got caught in their fucking bathroom using drugs. Like, those are the stories they would have told. Today, if I die right now, if I die on my way home tonight, my fucking funeral's going to be packed. It's going to be packed with people that appreciated me for who I've become. So the people that no longer know me, they don't fucking deserve to. They don't. The people that have made an effort to stay in my life and watch me grow, that I've been able to help them grow and stay in their lives, those are the people that deserve me. And I hope to God that when I leave, that it says, you know, there's a pillow sitting on my couch at home. It says, live your life so that your children think of you when they hear these words. And around the pillow is written these words, honesty, integrity, morality. Live your life so that when your children, your loved one, your wife, your mother... Here's the word honest. They think of you. Here's the word integrity. They think of you. Somebody sent me a meme the other day, and it was, a, it's, it was written in English, you know, old English lore. It was kind of funny. But it said, uh, it said, every time my mother has a problem she doesn't know how to deal with, she takes out her wallet, and she looks at the picture of me that's in her wallet. There's no pictures of my siblings in her wallet. And when she told me this story, I was very touched and I felt very important and, and, and positive in her life as like this symbol of what can be, you know, how good. And then he said, and then my mother told me that when I look at the picture, I just remind myself, what problem can I have that's worse than that one? <laughs> which, le which legacy do you want to leave? Do you want people to look at you, remember you and think, my God, what a problem he was? Or do you want people to think, that man really cared. He was passionate about saving people's lives. And the work he did on himself was unbelievable. And who he became is unbelievable. What a father he was. What a brother he was. What a husband he was. Like, I want that for me. I want people in church to sit around and talk about missing me. Think about what I just said. Because in my active addiction, there was a large group of guys that were going to miss me. Because my money would stop coming to town. Because every time I went around the way, I brought stacks. And... There was people that were going to miss me, 100%.
but they were going to miss me for financial reasons. But today, people are going to miss me because I've made a difference, not in your life, but in mine. And I choose to be that one drop of hope. Anybody who's never heard about this tattoo, here's what this tattoo means. I got this tattoo when, when I was about four years clean. Um, inside the spike is everything I was addicted to. Uh, or symbolize, symbolized for everything I was addicted to. There's 13 links in the chain. I was married to my ex-wife for 13 years. When my addiction broke, which is the little break in the spike, it covered my marriage. My marriage was about addiction. Everything about it. And my wife wasn't a junkie. So I literally hijacked my own marriage. And everything we did was about addiction and recovery. And I'm fine with that on my own, but I shouldn't drag somebody else down that road unless they want to be there. Anyway, so as my marriage enveloped my or as my addiction enveloped my marriage completely, my recovery, I lost my marriage. That marriage ended. But this little drop on the end of the spike that shines with a little cross in the center of it is hope. I had one drop of hope left. And that's all I needed to continue forward. Because remaining hopeful means I still had something. I still had hope. I've been hopeless. I've been homeless. I've been humble, and I've been beat the fuck up. All of those things have not happened in my recovery. They all happened in my active addiction. Everything I just said. However, in my recovery, every single thing that might fall under one of those categories was merely a lesson. It was merely a time for me to learn how to be different. It was merely a time for me to learn how to live as part of something instead of just for me. I wrote a song once called Milk Crates. The first line is, living out of milk crates makes me sad to be a poor man. That fucking line sticks with me. Who's had to live out of milk crates? Or the equivalent. Like the reality of lugging your shit down the road, and this is it. This is everything. Everything I got. I could carry it all. The minute I stopped wanting, all of a sudden I became extremely rich. You know what I want today? Not a goddamn thing. Nothing. So what do I have today? Everything. I have everything I've always wanted. And more. Because if I don't want anything, I already have everything I've ever wanted. The, the next thing I jotted down is, are you a woman's purse? Anybody feel that? Anybody understand what I'm asking? When you're in your bag, when you're in your head, when you're sitting there stewing in your own shit pile, are you doing it like a military guy's sock drawer? Or are you doing it like a woman's purse? where the only way you're going to find that shit is to turn it over, dump it out, and look through it all one sick fucking moment at a time. Because I don't know about y'all, but when my wife needs something out of her purse, it's look, 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 dump, and then fish, and then put back what you do, and then sweep the rest in the in its garbage. I don't want my recovery to look like that. I don't want my recovery to be like that. I want to be able to grab the tools I need. I want to be able to understand, you know, this morning, who was it that said my, my goal is to say no today? It was you. Um, that brought me to, you know, some of you guys have heard me talk about Ian. Who started me talking about Ian? I talked about it yesterday on the, on the little thing. So Ian is uh, an acronym for a simple sentence. It's always no. It's always no. If I live my life answering every single question that's ever asked of me with the answer no, I have left myself zero opportunity to be hurt, zero opportunity to use drugs or alcohol. If I say no and I want to change the answer, I can but if I say yes, changing the answer to no sometimes won't happen fast enough. 
And the reason that's important is the elation scale. I talk about the elation scale a lot. And I want you guys to consciously think about this while you're living through your days. Is you're going to have emotional, everybody, everybody lives in an emotional roller coaster, right? Every single one of us. We understand that. And we know that when we hear that clickety-clickety-click and we're climbing the hill, we know that the next thing that happens is a long downhill fast run and we're going to make some noise while we do it. So the elation scale, at the top of the elation scale is elation, or the happiest we could possibly be. In the middle is baseline, and that's where we normally live. That's where we are sitting right now. Below that is sadness, and underneath sadness is what? Rage. Rage. So each one of those spots has a chemical release in your body. Elation, dopamine, and serotonin. Your system will get flooded with it, and you'll feel amazing. Baseline. That's our standard, whatever the chemical releases we go through on a daily basis that make us breathe and, and see and you know, normal shit. Sadness, that is when we deplete our serotonin. And rage is an epinephrine shot. Is anybody allergic to bees in here? You got an EpiPen? No. Yeah, has anybody ever used an EpiPen on themselves or, or someone else? What happens when you use it? It's like the fucking ultimate speedball. I mean... Yeah, it's, it, it, your, heart your heart rate increases because the epinephrine is naturally occurring in the human body. It it's already in us. And people that have an allergy to bees or stinging insects usually have depleted epinephrine levels. So they don't have the ability for their body to bust that epinephrine shot. What do you got, Kurt? Medically, that might be true, but in the, as far as the body production of epinephrine, basically the body holds a, a, a reserve of epinephrine, and when you need it, it releases it all at once. And the very most common way to release epinephrine in your body is experience rage. Soon as you get mad, soon as you reach that point of rage, we, you know, blind fury, blind rage, that point where you are no longer able to be stopped. Like, it's going to, someone's going to have to physically restrain you to get you to stop. At that point, your body is flooded with epinephrine. You know how long it takes epinephrine to get through your system? Seven hours. Seven hours minimum. So every time you experience anger or rage, you get an epinephrine shot. You are accepting a sentence. You are taking a charge. And the fucking bit is seven hours. As soon as you experience rage, if you don't do anything about it, you are inviting yourself for a seven-hour bit where you're going to be stuck in some sort of negative loop for seven hours because the epinephrine has to leave your body. So as it's continuing to course through your body, you're getting, once again, you're experiencing rage feelings over and over and over. Has anybody ever experienced what I just talked about? And it's very real when you're going through it. But all you have to do is fake laugh. Fake laugh, and you will start to pump dopamine into your system, and that will slow it down. So when you feel yourself in that elevated state of rage, elation scale down here, when you feel yourself in that elevated state of rage, force yourself to smile. Force yourself to laugh. Force yourself to giggle. giggle, And most importantly, put your fucking hands in your pockets. Because restraining yourself is something your brain understands, whether you do or not. Your brain gets it. As soon as your hands are in your pocket, your brain goes, oh, hold still, hold still. What do you got? Yeah, I'm allergic to bad weather. I haven't had 
Yeah, so for somebody like you, you probably don't experience rage the same as the rest of us because you have an epinephrine deficiency. You probably get what's called blanket anger, where you just, boom, I'm angry, and I'm okay now. Is that about right? You got it. I wonder if you go longer than seven. Oh, definitely. Can you, can you do that? Yeah, 18. 18. Can go up to 18 hours. Because I know when I get rage like that, I'm like mad. For days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Not hours, for days. So, I don't, I don't even converse drink them. water, chew ice, fake laugh. Drink water, chew ice, fake laugh. Mm -hmm. So, elation scale, we just talked about rage. So as we're going through our day and we're experiencing the rise and fall of the elation scale, this is, we're going back to, it's always no, we're going back to Ian now. The reason that's important is, um, ask me to borrow my car. Can I borrow your car? No. Why not? Um, what do you need it for? Go to the store. All right, so here's what just happened. Can I borrow your car? He's at baseline. I said no. He went right to sadness initially, whether it exposed, whether he showed it or not internally started to go to sadness disappointment because i said no then i said why as i said why i gave him the way out and all of a sudden his mood started to lift a little bit while you're answering the question why both of us are going to hear how full of shit you are or if you're telling the truth together we will understand that you're lying or you really need me I'll try it again but ask me to borrow my car can i borrow your car yeah. That's like, no. How fucked up was that? So, baseline thinking, can I borrow your car? While he's waiting for the answer, instantly up, I said yes. Boom, elation, happy as shit. Psych, no. I made him travel from here to here. All the way down. And when you throw a rock down a hill, what happens? Keeps going. All the way to rage. So, the fact that I made a little joke, even though you knew it was play acting, for just a split second, you were angry. Just a second, because I fucked with you. That's not okay. But the fucking with you reversed is a gift, and here's why. I borrow your car. No, man. You serious? Uh, what do you need it for? Go to the store. What do you need to get from the store? Groceries. Okay. So, I don't know if I can let you borrow my car, but do you want me to give you a ride up there? I'll give you a ride, and I'll bring you home, too. Sure. Bet. So I gave him the journey from sadness when I said no, when he asked if I could borrow my car, no, instant sadness. And then we walked together up the road to understand that he didn't need the car, he needed help with something else, and I'm able to do that. We ended an elation. Now we're in the car together, happy, having a good time, going to the store. We're now sober support for each other. We're now together. We're brotherhood. We're community. We're a team. And two of us addicts, We'll stay clean a whole lot faster than one of us will. A whole lot faster. Because we like to hold each other accountable. It's something we love to do in here. We love to call each other out on our dumb shit. <laughs> um, but the gift of changing the answer from no to yes is a dopamine lift that you're issuing. It's a free buzz for whoever you're talking to that's legal and not going to fucking you know, stick you in a jail cell or put you behind a dumpster in an alley. It's not where you're going to end up. You're going to enjoy a moment of your life. And the more of those moments you give yourself, the more enjoyment you're going to get. So now I'm going to ask you. I want you to play the, you play the wild card. You do whatever you want. Can I borrow your car real quick? What? Um, my mom, my, um, 
My mom has a, a, a doctor's appointment that I got to get her to. Well, how about if I take you? Uh, no, they, they don't like when there's more of us sitting, more than one of us sitting in a car out front of the. Then I can't just let you borrow my car. Um, all right, bet. Okay, can I borrow your car? What do you need it for? Uh, I, I got this thing I got to do at the hospital. I got, I, I got testing I got to do. Well, what's the testing for? Um, my mom. No, they they don't like us to have a bunch of people. So, as I'm doing this, I'm get I'm literally traveling further and further down this relationship goes because nobody's giving me what I want. But what did we all hear? That I'm full of shit. And now try it again. Come borrow your car today. For what? My uh my mom actually um my mom my mom's got cancer and. She actually has a chemo appointment, and I uh, I got a DUI two weeks ago, and I don't have a license. Um, Have you arrived? uh, Yeah, that'd be that'd be. Can you can you wait there the whole time? Sure. And bring us back. Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be great, man. That'd be real, real helpful. Got it. I appreciate it. So, y'all saw what just happened, right? I asked. He said no. I immediately went to sad. He asked why, and I started building my story. But you could tell the way I was talking, what I was saying, it was real. It was true. When he said. I can't give you my car, but I'll give you a ride. I immediately relief. My mom's going to be okay today. So I'm now in an instant dopamine high. I'm not upset about anything, and I just owned my own shit. Now, now we'll take it to where it, real, where it really works. I walk in the bar. As I pass the bar, the bartender says to me, you need something? I go, no, nah, man, I'm good. I'm still moving. I'm thinking Yes. I'm thinking yes like a motherfucker. I'm thinking Jack and Coke. I'm thinking gin and tonic. That's what I'm thinking. But I already said no, and I'm 20 feet away from the bar now. I'm safe. I'm safe. So the the default answer no kept me safe there. Because if my default answer was yes, hey, man, you want a beer? Yeah. Yes, I do. That moment of contemplation, if I replace it with the word no and keep moving... I mean, I was dropping my daughter off at preschool. And this is, I was fucking 35, 40 days clean. I'm dropping my daughter off at preschool. I'm walking in with her in the hand, get through the door. And as the door opens, my dope man is coming the other way. He had just dropped his child off at school. And we're passing each other. And we make eye contact. And he goes, what's up? And I knew what that meant. Car's, car's hot. And I, my first thing, like I said, I was only 35 days clean. I had been going to N.A. and I'm really active in meetings. And as I did, as we made eye contact and he gave me the nod out, I grabbed my fucking keys and I held the white tag up at him and I went like this. And I kept going. And I was like, did I just fucking twilight that guy? I just vampired him. Like I had a cross and he was a vampire. He don't know what a fucking N.A. tag means. He's got no idea what it means. But I did. I knew exactly what it meant. I used it as a shield that day. And it saved me. Because he did not communicate any further with me. And I stayed in the, ha- in the school until I watched his car leave the parking lot. But that stuck with me forever. I wear these key tags not because of some, you know, I'm not showing off. But guess who never talks to me? <laughs> the dope man. <laughs> they don't ever talk to me. In fact, I could walk through Walmart with this hanging around my neck, and there'll be five guys that will walk up to me and hug me 
and say congratulations. Right. So I'm not bragging. It's my shield. It's what's keeping me safe today. And if that's what i got to use, it's what I'll use. But adding to that the word no and understanding that your friends... Hey, man, you got, a, you got an extra soda? Can I get a soda? Sure. Baseline. Can I get a soda? Sure. I got that much of a gift from him. I'll say no. And then change it to yes. Hey, man, can I get a soda? No. Oh, damn. It's cool. And yes. that... For real? Yes. Bet. So, baseline. Can I get a soda? No. As I'm turning and literally I've caved in and given up, I don't care anymore. He said yes. Boom. Dopamine rush right there. It's a gift. I just got a free gift from somebody using a one-syllable word. No. It's a complete sentence. It, it answers so many questions. Hey, man, anybody got an extra cigarette? Together with me. Everybody. One, two, three. No. It's that simple. And then while you think about it and they're walking away to go hustle somebody else for a cigarette, you can count your pack and be like, all right, I got 11 left. Yeah, I can fucking do it. Yeah, man, I got you. Then that man has now been given a gift of not just a cigarette, but a quick dopamine rush too. So understand that remembering that you're always partying with Ian if you want to. My party buddy is Ian. It's always no. And I'm sure every one of you has at some point asked me a question, and my, my default answer was no, wasn't it? You asked me something, and I went, no. Then I went, no, what do you need? Then, and then, and then, but I take you right to that point of sadness so that every word that we say next is a gift. Everything I give you next is a gift. So I encourage you to use the word no at your, at your like, as freely as you want to, because you can always reset to Yes. But resetting to no from yes, the needle's already going to be in your arm. The drink's already going to be in your hand. I don't know about y'all, but my relapse, I was stone sober when I made that choice. I wasn't drunk, high, or nothing. I was stone sober. And I made the decision to take that line off that table. That decision happened with a clear mind in recovery. Until I learned how to say no. So today, I encourage you, learn how to say no. What do you got? What's that? <laughs> it's my default. Right. I will always, I'll always give you the no first because I feel like it's my obligation to give you the gift of the yes. And the gift isn't that important unless you've already experienced the no. Joy doesn't mean shit if you've never experienced sadness. Healing doesn't mean anything if you've never been hurt. Love means nothing if you've only been hated. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Find somebody who is willing to spoon feed you love. Because if you do not, and I am, by the way, if y'all didn't figure that out. Because if somebody doesn't spoon feed you love, you are going to lick it off of the blade of knives like peanut butter. Okay? And we don't need to live that way anymore. And the last thing I wrote down was overconfidence is the key to a good relapse. I heard somebody say, don't ever wish luck. And I said it this morning to the guys that were leaving. You know, I'm not going to wish you luck. I'm not going to tell you got this. I never want you to think. I never want you to walk in a room and be like, I got this. I never want you to walk into a 12-step group and sit down and be like, I know all that stuff. You don't. You don't. Do not become overconfident in recovery. Overconfidence looks like this. 
It was a bachelor party. This is my relapse story. Bachelor party, pool table, stripper dancing on the pool table. 25 of us, all restaurant employees in the room as this is going on. She's dancing. She's got a real good crowd. There's lots of guys with ones and 20s and fives in their hands around the pool table. And one of the guys at the party walked around the pool table with a bag and laid a line on every diamond around the pool table. You know, little diamonds or little spots around the pool table. He laid a, a line on every single one. And he turned to the crowd and he goes, you guys want one of these? And I was standing there. And I thought, I got six years clean. Yeah, I do want one. And I walked over, and I wasn't even to the table before my cigarette pack was out of my pocket. The cellophane was off my cigarette pack, and I had a business card. And I was sweeping it into the cellophane. And he goes, what are you doing? And I said, where's the kitchen? And he was like, through that door over there. I said, you got bacon soda in your refrigerator? He went, yeah. I said, bet. I went through the kitchen. I was in there by myself, cooking in a fucking tiny saute pot on the man's stove. And uh, with one, I had one rail. What was I even doing? Anyway, so I cooked up my one rail, and this kid comes walking in, and he goes, you know how to cook Coke? And I said, yeah. And he was like, will you do mine? Boom. I said, yeah, I'll do it. So I started cooking. I had six years clean, and in 15 minutes, I gave that six years away, and then I started a bunch of new addicts. I started giving out my habit. I cooked two ounces of Coke at that party. I'm standing in the kitchen with fucking paper towels laid out. I got rocks all over the place. And I walked out of the kitchen and the stripper was sitting in the middle of the pool table by herself. Alone. I had everybody in that bachelor party in the kitchen with me smoking Coke. So not only did I relapse, I ruined her night financially. And I turned a whole bunch of people onto something they had never experienced before. And what did I do that night? I invented a bunch of new addicts. So I did a terrible thing. I relapsed all because I said, I've got six years. I can do this. I learned that day that I can never do this. I can't. The one is too many, a thousand is never enough. That don't even come close to describing the way I get down. If I'm in a party, I literally only know how to party one way until I'm broken homeless. That's it. Once I get started, I'm pawning everything I got, then I'm coming after your shit. And when you run out of stuff, I'm robbing somebody that lives near you. And that's what's going to happen. But I now have seen it with my own two eyes after six years clean, after rebuilding my life, after all the work I did for six years and all the shit I gained over that time, I had to walk away from it because it didn't serve me anymore. It put me in a bad place. My overconfidence almost killed me. Now, my relapse was three months, $18,000, two cars, a marriage, and a pet. That's what it cost me. Three months. That's what it cost me. Let alone the regret, remorse, and pain that I walked away from that I left the first time all came back. All of it. All the pain, all the terrors of behind me robbing a guy, all the terrors behind me putting somebody into physical jeopardy, all the terrors of me getting shot in the fucking leg, all that shit came back right away, and I had almost forgotten. I was reminded that day that I can never forget. This is a battle that I am going to fight for the rest of my life. But I don't have to fight if I just stay out of the ring. So if I don't put myself in places where people use, I don't hang out with people that use. The people I know that use, I talk to them very limited, very, very limited. 
But I recognize that I cannot be in that place. I can't be in that headspace. Stay out of the circus. Stay out of the fucking circus. If you don't want to ride an elephant, don't go to the circus. If you don't want to fucking fight an 800-pound gorilla, don't go to the circus. And I don't know about y'all. I know in this room, we got plugs, addicts, alcoholics. We got all of it. If we went out there, we could start a business ethics course. And people would learn real shit. Who knows, who knows business ethics in this, in this room? Who took a college course in business ethics? Who took a street course in business ethics? Who do you think learned more? <laughs> who do you think's education costs more? Yeah, all day. All day. But I promise you that the lessons that you learn in this little short, tiny, literal blink of your life, 21, 28, 35, 45, 120 days, that's a blink. It's a blink. And if somebody told you that they, if the dope man was standing on the corner and you handed him your money, said, I'd be back in 30 days, would you wait that 30 days? No, you just go get some more, right? Somewhere else. In recovery, if I tell you you need to be here 30 days, I'm not telling you that I'm coming back with recovery in 30 days. I'm saying for the next 30 days, you're going to get as much recovery as we can possibly give you. And that's what we want to do. The people that have no uh, addiction history of their own that work here, staff members, they have it in their family, or they loved you enough to put themselves in financial debt to get an education, to get a master's degree, or a fucking bachelor's in psychology because they're tired of watching their friends die too. Counselors that don't have addiction in their history have fucking student debt. They chose student debt. They chose to put themselves in debt so that they could come help you. It's not because they're assholes and they want to throw rules at you. It's because they care and they're tired of watching people die. Don't make us remember you longer than we knew you. I've only met the guys that are in this room. I don't know any of you in active addiction. Isn't that fucking amazing? There is somebody on this planet that doesn't even know you in active addiction. Wouldn't it be amazing if everybody didn't know you in active addiction? I get a sentence that I get to say very often. I have three daughters. Not one of them knew me in active addiction. Two of them were alive while I was addicted after my relapse. But they were young enough. They've forgotten. They don't remember. But my oldest made it her life goal to help children of addicts because I was able to help her. She graduated with a fucking degree in psychology, drug and alcohol, minoring in Spanish. She's going to be a bilingual counselor for children of addicts. Wow. Can you imagine knowing that, knowing that much about what you wanted to be when you were 22 years old? I can't even fucking think. I can't even imagine that. At 22 years old, I was literally on my way to the next show with a pocket full of acid. That's, that's all I remember. But I ask you guys today, one, keep your recovery nice and neat like you would keep your sock drawer, not like a woman keeps their purse. Nothing personal, guys. <laughs> True, but rude. Um, remember how powerful the word no is. Not only is it a shield, it's also a gift. You can use it to give people a gift. And if you don't believe it's true, try it today. You'll, you'll see it happen. You'll see it happen with your own two eyes. So remember to party with Ian today. Remember to trust yourself, keep your recovery organized, be ready to pull it out at any given time, and know that you're worth it. And the one thing I've said consistently all week to each one of you that I've talked individually to, no longer is your scale 1 to 10. 
When you rate yourself, you rate a woman, you rate your life, you rate your car, you rate your education, you rate your addiction, the scale is not from 0 to 10 or 1 to 10. The scale is from 0 to you. You're it. You're the end game. If, it doesn't, if it's not good enough for you, it's not good enough at all. Period. Do not let yourself settle for anything less than perfection because you have been perfectly broken for a long time. And the gift of recovery is absolutely that. And I heard somebody say this morning, it might have been you, two days we don't care about. Yeah. Yesterday and tomorrow. Yesterday and tomorrow. Just for today. Yep. That's all we got to do is live. And to chime in on what you said, you said try to stay clean five minutes at a time. Guys, I'm telling you, stay clean for now. Because it took me longer to say the word now than it represents. If I can stay clean now, as I said it, I've already accomplished it. It's already happened. Not stay clean for the next five minutes. Stay clean right now. That's it. Done. I, look, I did it again and again. I can keep doing that all day long. If I get strong and I want to think about going on, you know, going somewhere, doing some vacation thing, don't think about between now and then how many days there are, how many seconds there are. That is not how life works. It was a fucking, what was the sentence I just flashed in my head? All right, my wife and I are getting on the cruise for the honeymoon. We're in line. There's two older people in front of me, very old. The, the older guy turns and he looks at me and he says, hey, how are you guys? He said, what are you doing here? I said, we're on our honeymoon. He said, congratulations. And he said, we're here celebrating our anniversary. I said, oh, what's your anniversary? He said, 55 years. We've been married 55 years. And I was like, holy shit. I said, what's the secret to staying married for 55 years? And he looked at his wife and he smiled and he said, don't sweat the small shit, and everything is small shit, boy, unless she thinks of it. <laughs> and I understood what that man meant. If I don't sweat the little stuff, if I don't sweat that she's upset because I forgot to put the toilet seat down, like, I go put the toilet seat down and I say I'm sorry. But that one little thing that I did right behind her telling me I did something wrong, that could easily turn into an argument. Could very easily turn into a you know, you can't reach the toilet seat from where you're standing. You know, I, we, can, we can easily have that argument. But I remember today, nothing is so important that I need to fight about it. It's not. There's only one battle I choose every day, and that's over my addiction. And that brings me to my favorite part of the day, the three things I ask of you guys every single day. These are the three things that are going to make your recovery easier. They're going to make your life easier if you follow them. Be grateful for the things you have and the things you don't have anymore. Be kind to the people involved in your life and the people who no longer are. Think of them with kindness. And when you walk into a room that feels like the wrong place to be, before you run away from that motherfucker, see if you can't change it. See if you can't be love where there isn't any. And then I am crushing this shit. For everything I've got, for everything I've lost, everything I pawned, everything I stole, everything I did, and everything I never have to do again, I will be grateful. For every interaction I have with another human being or living creature on this plane of existence, whether they're covered in fur, feathers, fins, foliage, or flesh, I will be kind. And when I walk into that room that smells like the trap house I wish I never went into the first time, I'll be the one to make it different. I'll be the one to be love where there is none. Who's happy they're clean today? I Who's going to make it through right now? I How about right now? How about right now? 1,437 more of those and we got today licked. So I can't think in those many terms, so I'm just going to think about this one. I'm just going to worry about right now. Who's going to work on their treatment work today? I 
Who's going to take this thing fucking seriously for once in your life? I am. What are we doing here? We can do better now. What are we doing here? And this one's for the prisoners who can't be here with us and wish they were. What are we doing here? I'm Troy and I'm an addict. Thanks for letting me share.